Okay, good evening everyone. Will you Facebookers please move to YouTube because I'm still having a problem with the Facebook. We'll probably post the share on Facebook after we have it recorded on YouTube, but meanwhile, to make a live on Facebook, something got messed up. Okay. Um, tonight's share was dedicated by Yehuda Markel, all the way from Vegas. Um, thank you. Thank you for that dedication. He's dedicating this year in honor of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Yisrael ben Eliezer, the Holy Baal Shem Tov. May this be his chus for the Baal Shem Tov, as it being this is the Baal Shem Tov Center. May this bring a lot of light and bracha, the Baal Shem Tov's blessing to all the Jewish people and to all of the world and to Mayan Yisrael and to all those who listen to these classes. May it be um, a big merit. Um, Baal Shem Tov's yard site is coming up this uh, on Shavuos, this, um, this Friday, Be'ezra Hashem. Regarding your request uh, to teach the Mimer Shivisi, thank you for the suggestion. I did learn it today. I should say I read it today. And um, I actually read the introductory Mimer before that, the Mimer on Shavuos, and then Shivisi Mimer. Um, I hadn't processed it enough for it to be able to be deliverable, so thanks for that suggestion. But I'm not going to teach that today, but uh, it'll come out. It'll come out, Be'ezus Hashem, uh, one of these days, one second. After Be'ezus Hashem, I'll process. Um, what I do want to address today is, um, of course, the Shavuos that's coming. But also, in addition, also in addition to that, um, the month of Sivan that we're in right now, and something relating to this past Shabbos, Shabbos, Pashas Bamidbar, and last week I didn't talk about Bamidbar, I spoke about um, the Haftorah of Pashas Bamidbar, in the end, we didn't even read that Haftorah because it was Erev Rosh Chodesh, and we read a special, uh, um, a special Haftorah called Machar Chodesh, and uh, which means tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. I want to talk about that, that Haftorah, and its special significance to current events, to things that are happening in the world right now. Um, we're at the conclusion now of a period of time that is unprecedented in Jewish history. Or I don't have any information to say that something like this ever happened before. It seems like on this Shavuos, we are going to be back in shul. I hope we're going to be in the third base Amigdash. That's what I hope and pray for. Um, but we were told that it's time to get back to shul again. Um, it seems like today, and even here in California, the governor gave out guidelines and they are permitting churches to open and synagogues and so on and so forth, based houses of worship, based on certain um, taking, taking certain precautions. So after a 10 week absence, literally 10 weeks of Jews not being in shul, um, were beginning to trickle back in. Uh, Minyanim are popping up all over again. And um, 
it's it, we need to I think um, examine we need to investigate we need to get a grip and an understanding of what took place what happened what can this possibly mean the absence of Jews from coming to shul for a 10-week period it really doesn't make any sense um, what, what I mean that it's so shocking is that from when God came down to Sinai, from when Har Sinai, from when the giving of the Torah, 3,332 years ago, immediately Hashem said, set me up a home. Make for me a, a place, and it's called the Tent of Meeting. Tent of Meeting means a place where I can connect to Israel, I can connect to the Jewish people. Since that time, the Oel Moed, the tent, was traveled with the Jewish people on all their journeys, and when it was time to move into Eretz Yisrael, it translated into more of a, of a permanent tent. It was a tent, but it translated into a semi-structure, more permanent structure type of a tent, and it had a few different types of, um, different kinds of setup, and finally it became materialized in the in the base Amigdash that Shlomo Melech that King Solomon built and we had that for over 400 years and then we went to exile it was destroyed and the Gemara tells us in Masechtas Megillah and so it is stated in Zohar and so in the Medrash and that uh, wherever the Jewish people are Shechina Imam God the divine presence never left the Jewish people Hashem always accompanies Hashem is inseparable from his children, from his beloved. So wherever we are, God Hashem comes. And where do we have that meeting with God? So the Pasuk says, I will be for them for a small temple, a small base on Migdash. And therefore, when we, the sages say, we went to Babylonia, which was the first exile, the Shechina was with us. In a sense, we can even argue that in the first, first exile, when we went to Egypt, the Shekhinah was with us then as well, because uh, uh, Yaakov Avinu, on his way down to Egypt, he already established the first Torah center. He established a Beis Talmud. He sent Yehuda, the Yehuda of Shalach of Goishna, the Sakinoi Beis Talmud. Rashi says Yehuda he sent in front of him to a to a point or to set up a a place where a study hall where they can learn. That's a Beis Medrash, and they probably prayed there as well. Beis Medrash, Beis Knesses, and Wherever there are ten Jews, there is the divine presence. So um, God has been with us from the very, very start. And then we came back and we made the second base on Migdash. And then when we went to, to exile during the Roman exile, during the exile, the current exile, the Edomite exile, Jews always had a temple, a mini temple. Not one, we had hundreds of them, thousands of them across the diaspora and across the land of Israel. Wherever there was Jews, there was immediately established a shul, a place where Yidin can come, where God comes, and Yidin and Hashem can be together. Now, even when there was upheaval in, in Jewish life, and uh, this obviously is, we are, we're, not, we're no strangers to persecution, upheaval, and uh, all kinds of disruptions in normal living, which happened continuously throughout our uh, blood-soaked history. But even when Jews were in trouble in one place, 
the Gemara says that Hashem made a tzedakah, tzedakah asa Kaddish Baruch Hu, Hashem made it a big uh, a righteous thing that He scattered us amongst the nations. So if we're oppressed in one place, we always, there are always survivors somewhere else. So even when during the Second World War, for instance, during the Holocaust, where uh, probably in most European shtetlach uh, and places, there was not much shul happening, even though there was shul, because Jews were davening with a minion even then, even under the lows of the Nazis in Auschwitz, uh, they had at certain times different minions and so on and so forth on, on the high holidays, in the ghettos, uh, they kept on organizing. They woke up very early in the morning before, if it was possible, before they had to go out to the harsh labor. I'm not saying it was always possible, but when it was, Jews had the unbelievable Messiris Nefesh to have minyanim. But even when it was pretty much... Um, uh, uh, interrupted, there were Jews living in the land of Israel, there were Jews in America, there were Jews in England, there were Jews in different places that were not directly under the, the, the onslaught of the Nazis. So there was always Jews coming to Shul. And also, and of course, in all the, in the Middle Eastern countries, Yidin had their Batikanesia, they had their Shuls where they would come to Davin. This is the first time in history that there was a global interruption to the point that even the Kotal Hamaravi, even the Kaisal Hamaravi, like, okay, okay, that, that had to clear out. We had a period of time that the Kosal many years ago, after 1948 until 1967, there were no Jews there. Yeah, because then there were Jews everywhere else, davening in other places. But to see the entire concept of a minion come to an end, no minyanim, now, I know that there were a few exceptions, that there were still a few. There was a corona hotel in Israel where Jews that were put together, the people who had the coronavirus, and they were had minion, and uh, so on and so forth. So there were a few, very, very few places. I can't say it was absolutely and completely, completely disrupted, but for what we would say most of, I would say 99% of the Jewish people, there was no minyanim. And that is shocking, and that doesn't make any sense. How did that happen? And we have to say that it's not just a fluke situation because of a virus and because of this, you know. And people have been given all kinds of interpretations. There were many harsh interpretations that are given that, uh, you know, Musser interpretations that were given for this, which I don't uh, like to speak about. This is not the style of the Balshemtov Center. We're not looking for any harsh words to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are an amazing people that have made it through such a difficult and challenging exile. And the very fact that people are dying to come to Shul is te only testifies of how deep and our connection to Hashem is, notwithstanding all that we've been through, the fact that Jews still want a relationship with God is outstanding, is spectacular. And therefore, no one should ever say that God kicked us out of His Shul and said we can't come back because we're throwing too big of parties, we have too much, too fancy schnapps and too much herring at our party, or that chas v'shalom, there's too much talking in shul. Uh, all these things have been true in history, and I don't believe that God kicked us out of shul for that. There must be, and if anybody does believe so, gizun to hate, and we should improve. Definitely we should improve. I'm not coming to say that we should, if there's an inspiration that we should improve ourselves in shuls, we should definitely do that. It's great. When we come back to shul, we should be more cautious. But there has to be something of cosmic significance, something of a greater, a deeper element. And obviously, since we're living in Mashiach's days, without a, without a shadow of a doubt, this has to have something to do with the final redemption, the coming of Mashiach. 
So what I think is really interesting is that we are trickling back into Shul in honor of Shavuos. So there has to be, not just we have to explain the absence, but why the conclusion of the absence is in honor of the holiday of Shavuos. Not only is it in the honor of the holiday of Shavuos, but we find that the big breakthrough, a major breakthrough in this came on Friday. And it was then that the President of the United States, uh, for good or for worse, doesn't make again, I'm not going to get into it, I know people have very strong opinions, you're for the President, you dislike the President, it all doesn't make a difference. He still is the most um, powerful individual globally in the world, and his words that he says have deeper meaning than even than, than, than he thinks it means, and what might be his personal interests for, for making such announcements. He's a puppet, if you can say, in the hands of God. Leiv malachim b'yad Hashem, the hearts of kings are in the hands of God. So it's what really happened on Friday is that Hashem made the decree that all Jews should come back to shul. He made the announcement on Friday and he said it so forcefully. He said that shuls, that Yidna have to come back, that we have to go back, and he said it should happen already that weekend. He requested, now, over here in LA, we basically, I know one shul opened, but at least on our side of town, mostly stayed closed, because we still need to hear from our rabbis and to figure out how to do it in a safe way, because in, in Judaism, there's nothing that takes precedence over human life, other than the three cardinal sins. Other than that, human life is beyond everything. So if there's a danger, so we need to have that. So we didn't rush into shuls immediately because of that announcement on Friday. But that announcement on Friday, I'm sure, has something to do with the governor over here, uh, the governor in California's announcement, because the president said that he's going to take, he's, he's ready to fight for this, and he's going to override governors. So again, I don't know the inside politics and what, what's going on behind the scene, but it's definitely related to that very, very bold and strong announcement that happened on Friday the day before Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar, which was Erev Rosh Chodesh Sivan. So it struck me as follows on Friday, and um, that this could all be related. And Bashkach HaPratis, I happen to have learned a, a Hasidic discourse, and that too, I believe, is by divine, Bashkach HaPratis means by divine providence that Hashem led me. It has always been one of my favorite discourses. I always loved this discourse. It's not the first time I've studied it. But uh, I, for some reason, it, it, uh, something triggered in my head regarding the, regarding the vacancy and the absence of the Jewish people from shul during this whole period of time. It triggered in my head to re-examine this discourse, the Mimer. The Mimer is from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in which he said in 19, I think, 68, Tavshin Chavches or Chavtes, I think in 668. And on, he said it on, on, a, on Shabbos, Erev Rosh Chodesh Iyar. Okay, not Erev Rosh Chodesh Sivan, the month before, right after Pesach. But he's building this discourse, he's basing it on the discourse of his grandfather, Reb Shmuel, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, known as the Rebbe Marash, who he said his discourse on Shabbos, Erev Rosh Chodesh Sivan. And, they, and, and so the Rebbe is explaining in the discourse the significance of the month of Erev Rosh Chodesh Sivan regarding the Pasuk and the Haftorah that we read when Shabbos comes out on Erev Rosh Chodesh. Because as mentioned earlier, on this past Shabbos, 
the Haftorah was bumped. The ordinary Haftorah that we would have read on Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar was bumped, and a special Haftorah took its place, which is something that itself is astonishing. Because one can ask the question, you know, Parshas HaShavua and Shabbos, every Shabbos is very deeply one with the Parsha. It's not just Shabbos. It's Shabbos, Parshas, Bamidbar. The Shabbos has the flavor of Bamidbar. And it comes with a Kriya, it comes with a Chumash portion, and it comes with a Torah. Due to the humility of Shabbos, Shabbos is very humble. Maybe it's related to the fact that we're learning the Mimer Thursday night, that Shabbos is Chachma, and Chachma is the essence of Bitl, Koyachma. So Shabbos has a lot of self-effacement. It steps away all the time. Whenever there is something else to honor, Shabbos makes room. It steps off from the podium and allows whatever else uh, to, be, um, to be celebrated. So when Shabbos comes out on Hanukkah, instead of reading Pashas Miketz Haftorah, we read the Haftorah of Hanukkah. And when Shabbos comes out on Rosh Chodesh, instead of reading the Shabbos Haftorah, we read a special Rosh Chodesh Haftorah. And the same if it's a special Shabbos, Shkolim, this, that, uh, those four Shabbosim of the year, Shabbos Shuvah, whatever, we again abandon the regular Haftorah and we read the Haftorah of the special occasion. And the same is done when, when, when Shabbos comes out on the 29th of the month. Erev Rosh Chodesh, we do the same thing because we read a Haftorah called Machar Chodesh. Tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. Which is a very strange thing. Because for Shabbos to be humble and to step aside for a holiday, for a special day, even for Rosh Chodesh, no, these are special days. But Erev Rosh Chodesh is only Erev Rosh Chodesh. Since when is Erev Rosh Chodesh a yomtif? Since when, since when do we make a yomtif on Erev Rosh Chodesh? The, the, the yomtif should be on Rosh Chodesh itself. So we have to say that Erev Rosh Chodesh is in a sense just as powerful as Rosh Chodesh. Or maybe even more. Or maybe let's say less follows. That the whole power of Rosh Chodesh lies in Erev Rosh Chodesh. Erev Rosh Chodesh leads into Chodesh. And that's the theme of this Haftorah. The theme of the Haftorah of Machar Chodesh, tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh, is not just celebrating Rosh Chodesh, that we're getting excited that tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. But it's giving us the significance of the day that tomorrow will be Rosh Chodesh, which means Erev Rosh Chodesh. It's so vital and it's so important that we dismiss the Haftorah and we read that special Haftorah. So I believe that the announcement that came to all Jews, it's time to reappear after this historic absence in which the Jewish people, millions of Jews were absent from being in shul. The fact that we were told to come back into shul after our absence and maybe even that it wasn't really formulated yet for the Shabbos. At least we were told that we should do it. And that the first coming back into shuls in a major way is going to happen on Shavuos, I think has very, very great significance. And the significance of that is the content of this past Shabbos of Torah, Mochar Chodesh. And all of this is based and almost stated explicitly in the mimer that the Rebbe said in 1968, because we know words of tzaddikim are spoken with prophecy, they're spoken with foresight, sometimes 30, 40, 50 years before it happens. So now, let's take a look and understand and appreciate what's the significance of the Haftorah of Mocher Chodesh. 
So Haftorah begins as follows. It tells us a story that's going on, a drama that's taking place in the life of King David, of David HaMelech. David HaMelech is, was taken as a husband to the daughter of King Saul. Saul HaMelech is the first king of the Jewish people. Um, he, forfeit, he forfeits his kingdom because his lack of adherence to the word of Hashem in killing out the, uh, the, the Amalek. And before Hashem says, I'm going to tear the Malchus away from you, and I'm going to give it to someone better than you. And who is the, going to be the future king? It's Shmuel Hanavi comes and he anoints the son of Yishai, the youngest of them, the one that everybody dismissed, everybody thought is, uh, it was the black sheep of the family. Lo and behold, he becomes. In the end, because Shaul HaMelech said, the one that will kill Goliath will marry my, I'll give my daughter as a, as a, as a, as a, um, as a wife. So um, David HaMelech won the prize. So he uh, got to marry Michal, the daughter of Shaul. Um, he was, now David HaMelech was a great warrior, and he went to battle, and he, was he had incredible success. And his renown and his fame was only getting bigger and greater from day to day. And this was causing a lot of discomfort to Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech was becoming very uneasy because he saw that you know, the intention, the spotlight was moving away from him and his family and it was going to this kind of new man, this stranger. I mean, now he's his son-in-law, but um, it's, it's, it, 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 he, re he, he saw it as a, that David HaMelech was... Um, was, was, was uh, overpowering him in that, in that sense. Obviously, there's the spiritual idea behind this whole fight as well. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just um, envy and the like. In any case, um, Yonasan is getting suspicious. Yonasan is the son, is David HaMelech's brother-in-law. He would be the crown prince if David HaMelech would, um, if David HaMelech would, uh, if, if Shaul HaMelech would to pass away and David was not to be the king, then Yonasan, he's the next in line. But Yonasan had a very, very, he's a very great tzaddik, and he had a very deep, deep, deep love for David HaMelech. And he appreciated his spiritual quality, and he knew who King David is. And when he started smelling that his father's, the anger and the, and the, and the danger that David HaMelech was in, he made up with King David a sign, and he wanted to test the waters to see if Shaul is really out to kill him or not. So he makes, he tells the King David as follows. He says to him, Machar Chodesh, tomorrow is, this is how the Torah begins. This is the Torah we read. Yonasan says to King David, Machar Chodesh, tomorrow is going to be the new moon. It's going to be the first day of the month. And because of that, let's, and, and, and so there's going to be a big feast happening at the king's palace. Sudas Rosh Chodesh, it's a special time. So there's at the king's table, uh, all the royal members of the family are invited, and King David, being the son-in-law, is also invited. Not only that, King David used to sit right next to Shaul, even in front of Yonasan, in order to separate between Yonasan and Shaul, because Yonasan didn't want to recline in front of his father. So there was an interruption, King David would sit right on the side of, of Shaul. So Yonason says to David HaMelech, tomorrow is going to be Rosh Chodesh. And what we're going to do is as follows, in order to test the situation, you don't come. Your seat should be vacant. You shouldn't come. What's going to happen as a result of that? My father's going to inquire about you. If you're there, 
it won't be an issue. You're there. You know, I know my father might be getting upset. I don't think he's going to stand up and, 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 and kill you right then and there. But we, in order to test it, I want to see what the attitude is going to be when he's going to start getting aggravated about you not being there. So you don't come. And because you're not going to be there, my father is going to inquire about you. So he says these words, kadata, you're going to be remembered because your seat is going to be vacant. And based on that, I'm going to get a sense of, the, of, of, of uh, my father probably is going to spill the beans. If he's really angry at you, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he won't be able to contain himself. I'll hear about it. And we're going to make a sign. I want you to go out and I want you to wait for three days. And I want you to hide in a special hiding place where you've been hidden today. I'm not exactly sure why he was hiding there at first. But he says, go to this place that you've been hiding. And you should sit over there next to a certain stone. It's called the Traveler's Stone. And, you should, that should be and the reason he told them to wait three days, because for three days the king's men are going to look for you. So you should be sitting over there. Or maybe he knew that it would take three days for them to, to, to put together, the, you know, to actually go out on a search. So he tells them on the third day you should be hiding. And in order that you should know, I should be able to convey the message to you, if, if your life is in danger or not, we're going to make a sign. I'm going to come out to this wilderness, to the place where you're hiding. I'm going to come with a lad, with this young person. I'm going to go there as just practicing archery. I'm going to be shooting. My, the person with me is not going to know of the fact that you're hiding. I'm going to shoot my arrows, and I'm going to tell the young man who is with me, go and fetch the arrows. And I'm going to call out to him loudly so you're going to be able to hear. And I'm going to say, if you hear me say to him, to the, to the lad, that, to the young guy, fellow, here, the, the, the arrows are by your side, go get them. Then you'll know that everything is okay and there's no problem. You can come out and, you, and, and, and uh, you're safe because I haven't heard, I don't have any, 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 uh, bad news for you. I've, 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 I've scouted, I've, I've uh, investigated, and, and my father is okay with you. But if you're going to hear me tell the, 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 this young man, the lad that's with me, if you're going to hear me tell him, why are you here? The arrows have been shot further. Go further. That's a sign. I'm saying to go further is because you need to run far away. And then you're going to get up and you're going to run away. So, this was the sign. Anyways, this is what they did. The first day, the, the Pasuk describes how the first day um, David wasn't there. That was the first day of Rosh Chodesh. I'm not sure which month it was. The first day Rosh Chodesh, um, David wasn't at the party. Shaul, however, noticed it, but he didn't say anything. Didn't say anything because he thought perhaps David was Tameh, and that's why King David didn't show up, and he didn't want to contaminate the meal. The second day already, um, David didn't come, and that's when Shaul inquired, and then he gets, and, 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 and Yonason says, David said he had to leave for a family affair, and Shaul gets very angry, and he wants to even kill his son, he grabs his spear. Anyways, Yonason leaves in a lot of rage, he's very angry, that is what his father said, and how his father tells his son, Yonason, as long as King David is alive, your kingdom will not be established, and basically go get him for me, because I want to kill him. So he has now clear evidence that David has to run. So he goes out and does the sign. And anyways, the, the lad comes and collects the arrows. And 
Yonasan had told him exact instructions. When the lad comes with the arrows, he tells, he tells this, uh, this young guy, go back to the, the palace, take my, my, my bow, take my uh, weapons with you. So the, he sends the kid off and he's left alone in the wilderness. It was safe, no one was around. The two of them meet, they cry and they hug and they kiss and they have this promise that they make with each other, a covenant that their love is going to be forever and ever and they go their own ways. This is the story. And David manages to escape. This is the story of the of Ayoimer Loyoinasim. Now, the simple we're reading it on Error Versh Chodesh, because this took place on Error, the, the conversation of Jonas and Tudah that happened on Error Versh Chodesh. But there is a much deeper element that's happening over here. The reason we say this on Error Versh Chodesh is because we know why is Rosh Chodesh a great day? Okay, so it's a new moon. What's, what's, what's so fantastic about Rosh Chodesh? The greatness of Rosh Chodesh lies in the fact that the moon that was in the sky and that disappeared from the sky, um, the moon's light w- w- waxes and wanes and then the light of the moon disappears at the end of the month till it's not there at all. Then there is a new moon and then it's Rosh Chodesh. That's what happens on, on Rosh Chodesh. A new moon. But the question is, what's the celebration? So there's a new moon. The answer is, the new moon means that there is a yichud, there is a, a, um, a unification. There is a new hashpa, there is a new light. There is a, what we would call it, there is an intimacy that is now taking place between the sun and the moon. How does the moon get its light? It's not the moon's own light. The moon is just a reflector. It's reflecting the light of the sun. When, when it reflects the light of the sun to the earth, that's when we see the moon. That's the new moon. Now the sun is this big, big, ginormous being with this great light. That's why the sun is rep- representing the concept of mashpia, of influencer. The moon represents the feminine concept of mekabel, of recipient. The moon is a recipient, mekabel the oyer hashemesh. So when the sun, the mashpia, like the husband, bestows his light to his wife, to the mekabel, to the recipient, which is, which is the moon, that's called a yichud, that's called a, a unification. Now if we take that outside, we, we, we undo the physicality of it, and we look at it in the spiritual dynamics of what's going on. So the moon, we know, represents the Jewish people. The sun represents God, like it says in the Pasuk, The sun is compared to the name Havaya, the name Yudke Vavke. And the moon represents the Jewish people. The light of the sun shining upon the moon means that God's light is shining on His people. That's called the Yichot, that's called the unity, a transmission between the Mashpia, between the husband and the wife, from Hashem to the Jewish people. And every Rosh Chodesh, there is a new hashpah, there's a new light, it's a new intimacy. And that's a yomtiv. There's no greater yomtiv than being able to come close to Hashem and receive hashpah, receive influence from God. That's why it's a yomtiv. That's the significance. Now, by the way, now why is this told to David HaMelech? Because we know specifically the Jewish people are compared to the moon, 
The nations we know count to the sun, the Jewish people count to the moon. All of our holidays are related to the moon system. But amongst the Jewish people, in particularly it's Malchus based David, it's the kingship of David HaMelech that's compared to the moon. That's why when we make Kiddush Lavana, we say, Shehem, the reason, Shehem Asidim Lizchadesh Kamoisa, that the Jewish people are going to be Mizchadesh, they're going to be renewed like the moon. And actually, it's a fascinating thing. We know that from the Moilad Alavana, from when the moon was born the first time, until the moon, I'm sorry, in general, from when the moon is seen in the sky until you have a full moon, it's four, between 14 and 15 days. And the 15th day is called Kaima Siyarul Bishlamusa, the moon is in its full light. Then it begins to dwindle again, another 14 days, and then it's again Rosh Chodesh. So we see that in Malchus based David as well. David HaMelech was the 14th generation from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was the first Jew. He's the first one who's beginning to establish God's kingship in this world. He's beginning to announce to all the people in the world that there is a king in this world. So he's the beginning of Hashem's Malchus in the world. So that's like, it's called like the, the Moila Dalavana. It's like the moon is being born in the days of Avram Avinu. Yitzchak is the second day. The third day is Yaakov. The light increases. Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh one, brings the Shekhinah, that's why seventh is already considered a, a serious growth in the moon, where we, we say, uh, Kabbalistically, you're supposed to wait to the seventh day until you can make Kiddush Levana. That means by Moshe Rabbeinu's days, there's already significant godly light shining on the world. That's why the Torah can come to the world. The Jew, all the miracles of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the Jews go into Eretz Yisrael, that's, or around that time, that's seven, eight, fine. It increases and increases, and King David, David is Gematria 14. Dalet Vav, Dalet 14. Shlomo Melech is the 15th. That's interesting. Shlomo is Gematria 15. If you take away, if you make Shin just three, if you make it Bemisper Katan, and Lamed is also three, so three and three is six, and Mem is five, is four, is ten, and then Hey is 15. David is Gematria 14, and Shlomo is Gematria 15. It's the 15th generation. And that's when the Beis Amigdash was built and God was shining upon the Jewish people with such intense light, with such powerful revelation. We were there, it's considered like the middle of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the month when the moon is completely lit up with Hashem's light, which means the Jewish people are receiving all the influence from God and they're shining upon the whole world. And particularly Malchus Beis David, which personifies God's kingship in the world is in its most potent, most revealed state. And all the nations of the world are then subservient to Shlomo. Like, similar to what's going to be when Mashiach comes. Then the moon begins to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle out of the sky. And actually the last king from King David's uh, family, Tzitkiyahu HaMelech, was the 14th one. And that after that, or Yechania, I'm not sure Tzitkiyahu or Yechania, which one was the 14th one. But this is the, the end. And the no more Malchus begs David. Until it's going to come back when Mashiach comes. We once spoke a whole interesting thing that from the Maralm from Prague until the Rebbe, there's 14 generations. Exactly. But I'm not, not for now. In any case, the, the, the concept of the return of Malchus Beis David is all reflected in this new birth of the moon. Now the main thing is the birthing of the moon. So that's why it is said to David HaMelech. And what is said to David HaMelech? Let's, see, let's, now, let's follow this a little better. What is said to him? It is said to him, tomorrow will be Rosh Chodesh. Okay? And because tomorrow will be Rosh Chodesh, what's going to happen? Yoinesson says, Your seat is going to be vacant. 
and you're going to be remembered. What is the significance of those words? V'nifkadeta, you're going to be remembered. Ki yipakit meshavecha, because your seat will be vacant. The simple meaning I said. I mean, if, if David would have been there, no one would pay attention to him. The fact that he wasn't there, that evoked curiosity and question, where is he? And he became the topic of the discussion, because he wasn't there. His absence brought there. But this itself is very much related to the whole idea of Rosh Chodesh. You see, in, the, in order for there to be a Rosh Chodesh, which Rosh Chodesh means a union between sun and moon, a new yichod, a new hashpah between Hashem's light and, and Israel and the Jewish people, one has to ask us, obviously, a simple question. We have to object to it. What does it mean a yichud? A yichud is not just a regular flow of energy. A regular constant flow that God transmits to the world is not called a yichud. That's energy flow from level to level, transmission. A yichud means a becoming one. A transmission in which the mashpia gives his entire being his, his, his true self over to the makabal, just like in a, in, a, in a marriage where the union between a husband and a wife leads to the birth of a child. And the child is a carbon of the father. It's a complete, the, the child is a copy of the father. It's got the entire DNA, which means when in, in, in a marriage, in a, in, in, a, in, in a intimacy, the husband is giving his very essence, his very DNA, his very substance of life. He's passing it on to create a child. Now, you ask a question, God, who is ain't self, who is infinite, and the worlds are finite, and we are finite beings, how in the world are we able to have a yichud, a unification? And we really know, for instance, that on Shavuos, it's called our marriage with God, Shavuos is coming, and the marriage means it's a yichud, it's a unification, and the question is, how is it possible that a finite entity should be able to receive infinite light of an infinite creator. Without it breaking, without it being completely destroyed, the mashpia overwhelms, overwhelms the makabal. The mashpia will completely burn the, the kalim, will, 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 will bust and burst the kalim of the recipient. The answer to that is Erev Rosh Chodesh. That's the reason why you need to have an Erev Rosh Chodesh. Erev Rosh Chodesh, the makabal, the recipient, does an exercise of bitl. You see, the problem why one cannot receive is because one is finite, one is limited. So the finite boundaries and limitations which make up your existence are not allowing you to fit something bigger in because you only have a limited, a limited space. Because you're defined with certain definitions. So what happens in order for that, for that not to be a problem? When the macabre disintegrates and they cease to exist, to the point as if they're not, they, they, they don't have a Metzias anymore. And it was a complete self-effacement, a complete non-beingness. In that non-beingness, it's like the seed that disintegrates. When it disintegrates, then the infinite potential of the power of the earth to grow a new tree can come out. How does one tiny little seed become a magnificent tree? Obviously, the infinite has to take a hold. I mean, everything is relative, but... Relative to the seed, the tree, and, and, and the truth is it is infinite because it will grow apples or whatever, whatever fruit it is with seeds with potential to grow forever. How can that make its way into the seed? The answer is disintegration. 
the nothingness, when there is an ayin, you go back to nothingness, that becomes the keli or the, that's the moment that facilitates and enables the yichud to happen, the unification to happen. And that is the whole idea. And you see that with a, in a marriage as well, that be, a woman also goes through her monthly cycle. And what happens? Right at the end of the monthly cycle, the woman has to purify herself. She goes to the mikvah. Mikvah, what, what does it mean when a woman goes to the mikvah? The woman is representing also the, the vessel, the container, the, the recipient. The husband represents the infinite godly flow, the mashpia. So in order for the woman to be a keli for it, once she goes under the water, she's as if she doesn't exist. The submersion is an end to her existence as a limited being, as a limited container. That's why the word tevila is the same letters as the word habital. It's complete nullification, non-existent. Once it's non-existent, then they can come to a yichud, they can come to a unification. And this is the secret of our unification with God as well. There is first, and, and I'm sorry, this is what David HaMelech, what, what Yoinesan says to David HaMelech. Yoinesan says to David, in order for there to be v'nifkadeta, in order for there to be a yichud, a higher unification, a v'nifkadeta, a power, v'nifkadeta means, oh, so what does v'nifkadeta mean? You will be remembered. David HaMelech will be remembered. Now what does that mean that David HaMelech will be remembered? So two things I want to, that we need to know. Number one, the word v'nifkadeta comes from the means not just being remembered, but the word v'nifkadeta also means yichud, also means unification. Chazal used the term pekida for, the, for an intimacy. Chazal say that when a person leaves town, a person has to be intimate with his wife, with his spouse, before he leaves town. They use the word pekida. Pekida means an intimacy. So the pekida, so when it says, you will, be remem- you will be remembered, it means, again, we're saying this to David, because David is the, 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 what is, what is going to be renewed on Rosh Chodesh. David and the Jewish people, I'm sorry, I'm going to add one more piece that I've been, that, that, I've, that, that, was, that was absent in the shir, which is very important. David and the Jewish people, both, Malchus based David and the Jewish people, represent in concept the power of Malchus, the power of Shekhinah. Shekhinah is the feminine element of the divine. In other words, we said earlier, the Jewish people, we're the recipients. And from the Jewish people itself, David HaMelech, this is the Pneumius of the, 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 the Makabal, the recipient. But what is it really, what's the really idea behind it? Because in the flow of godly, um, in the divine structure, in the configuration of how God set up the system, the influencing light, the influencing powers of Hashem in its infinity is represented by the masculine spheroids, the nine attributes going from Chachma all the way down to Yesod. These are the six, the, 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 the nine attributes of what we call general, the mashpia, the influence. Malchus represents the power of God that's the soul of creation. It's the, it's the spark that's within creation. And therefore, Malchus is already considered something separated, and to a certain degree, Malchus is considered <coughs> limited and fixed and 
and um, defined. The yichud between husband and wife then, on a more mystical level, is the yichud between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Shekhinah. David HaMelech personifies the Shekhinah. The Jewish people, we all have a little bit of the Shekhinah. So every month the Shekhinah as the cosmic female goes through this state of, 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 of preparation for her unity to receive new light of HaKadosh Baruch. This unification. And for that reason, we say to David, that represents the Shekhinah, that you should know, tomorrow is going to be Rosh Chodesh. Since it's Erev Rosh Chodesh, you need to do something. You need to go to the mikvah, meaning you need to disappear. You need to, have a, you need to do something of bittel. You need to be, there has to be a vacancy. You have to be non-entity, a non-present, non-being. And in that non-beingness, you're going to become a keli for the new light. So now let's take a go back to the word vinifkadata. Because vinifkadata means you will be remembered. And as we said before, that's the yichud. That's the unification that's coming about. Why will you be vinifkadata? Ki yipakeid maishavecha, because your seat will be vacant. In other words, this very idea that we're saying, that on Erev Rosh Chodesh, on the day before Rosh Chodesh, the moon has to disappear completely in order for it to be able to receive the new light of the sun, or else the moon cannot receive the new light of the sun. The same is also regarding, regarding um, David HaMelech. We're saying that, you're not going to be there. Because you're not going to be there, that's going to be your disappearance. And because of that, that very epoche, that very absence, that's going to allow that there should be the yichud between the sun and the moon. Now where do you see the yichud of the sun and the moon in that story? Where do you see the yichud of the sun? V'nefkadata, who's going to remember David? Shaul HaMelech is going to remember David. What does Shaul have to do with this yichud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah? The answer to that is, for that we need to know who Shaul is. And who is his son, Yonah's son? You see, in this whole discussion, there is a, there is a, there is a conversation between Yonah's son and David. Yonah's son says to David. He's the one speaking over here. So for a moment, let's examine the name Yonah's son. Yonah's son is spelled yud Hey vav Yud Vav, Nun Taf Nun, Yehoinasan. In the name Yehoinasan, you have the first three letters of God's name. Yud Vav. Ah. We know that the first four, three letters of God's name represent the masculine attributes. Hashem's name, Yud Vav Ke, represents the entire configuration of the sphere of the attributes. Yud is Chachmehe, is Bina. Vav is the six emotions. Masculine emotions. And the latter he is Malchus. The only thing that's missing in the name Yoinasan is the latter he. The reason for that is because David is the he. David is the he. And it's interesting. The Pasuk says regarding Yoinasan and David that it, they, the, the, the verse says, Nifloha your love. Our love, the love from 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 Yonason to David, the pasuk compares it mea avas noshem from the love to a woman. 
Now we understand why. David HaMelech represents the feminine element of, the, of, of godliness. He represents the Shekhinah. He is the latter hay of God's name. Yoyna's son represents the divine attributes, the powerful masculine lights. And God's love for the Shekhinah is the most intense love. And that's why they say they cry, they bond, they are, they're holding on. To, and and, and Yoyna's son is, is, is saying we will never separate. Because there will never be a separation between Hashem and Knesset Yisrael, between Hashem and the Jewish people. That's the intensity of that moment. So who is the sun? The sun that needs to give light to the moon on Rosh Chodesh is actually Yoyna sun. Because Yud Keva, what's the word Nasan? Nasan means to give. That means that Yud Kevav Noisein is giving, Nasan is giving over light to David. So that's the meaning, Vayoyim to David. When is this going to happen? Machar Chodesh. Ah, tomorrow is Chodesh. That means that today there has to be an absence. Yipoket Meshavechor, your seat is going to be vacant. And as a result of that, what's going to happen? You pocket Meshavech, and if you're going to be remembered. But by who are you going to be remembered? You're going to be remembered by Shaul HaMelech. By King Saul. What's Saul? So mystically here, this is Gavaldic. Shaul, his, his source, spiritual source, is much higher than King David. Shaul is, was known to be an incredible tzaddik. David HaMelech sinned more than Shaul HaMelech. There was a reason why God took away the Malchus from Shaul. Shaul was like a child without a sin. He's an incredible tzaddik. Spiritually, the dynamics of his neshama came from Bina. If, if David HaMelech is the personification of Malchus, and Yoinasan is the son of Shaul, Yoinasan represents the six masculine attributes, we know that the six spheres, Chesed, Gevur, Teferes, Netzach, Hoyd, Yesoid, are are all the children of Bina. Bina is their mother. Like the six Shvatim were children of Leah. Leah represents Bina. Shal is the attribute of Bina. Where do you find that? It's a Pasuk that doesn't say by Shal, but it says it by a different Shal. By the, by the kings of Esav, in Parshas Vayishlach, it mentions the same name, Shal, and it says, Shal merachayvais hanar. Shaul from the, from, from the wide river, Rechovot Hanar, from the wide river. And anybody that learned the little Hasidus knows that Rechovot Hanar, that Bina is called the, a river, powerful river. Chachma is a, is a spring, a Mayan, a spring, and Venohar Yoitzemeyed and the river. Shaul comes from, and that's why Shaul was a very, very, very a great. Uh, um, he was an incredible moichen, incredible understand a philosopher and thinker. One of his problems was bina means understanding. He couldn't transcend his own understanding. That's why he, oh, he followed his mind. That's what was his sin. But he had the expansiveness of bina. That his spiritually shawl is the level of bina. Now here's an amazing thing regarding the yomtiv of shuas. The Pasuk says in Shira Shirim, Shloim HaMelech says, Tse'enna ure'enna, go out and see B'melech Shloimai. Go look at the King Shloimai. Ba'atara she'itreloi imoi on the crown that his mother gave him b'yoyim chasenosai on the day of his wedding. The day, oh, so we should go look at Shloim HaMelech when he's getting married. 
His mother gave him a crown. So the sages say, one of, I forgot already who the sage is, he says, Chazar Mikra, we went through the entire Chumash, or Gans Tanakh, the whole Tanakh, and we don't find anywhere that, Sh- that Shlomo HaMelech's mother should give him a crown on the day of his wedding. Bacheva should give Shlomo HaMelech a crown on the day of his wedding. We don't find that. So he says, when it says his crown that his mother gave him, King Solomon, it's not referring to King Solomon. It's referring to God. Melech shahasholim shaloi. It's referring to Hashem. That Hashem on the day of his wedding received the crown. When did Hashem get married? By Matan Torah, God gets married. So when Hashem got married to the Jewish people, he received the crown. If someone just listens to this YouTube for the next three minutes, they'll think I'm a totally lunatic. And we say that, why? Because I'm saying now that the day that Hashem got married, his mom gave him a crown. So we have to understand that the Eberster's mom, when we're saying God's mom, we don't mean God. When we're talking about the configuration of spheros and attributes, the level that we speak of when we say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Melech Shleimoi, that's the six spheros, the six attributes, the six emotions, that they're the masculine influencer that's, that's influencing and generating energy and life flow and having this intimacy with the Shekhinah. Getting married with the Shekhinah, with the Jewish people. In order for a Yichut to happen between HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ginormous and the Shekhinah that is considered infinitesimally small compared to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So in order for this unification to happen, there has to be something that will equalize both of them. As long as he is so great and she is so small, there can't be any transmission from him to her. That's why we find by a wedding that the chassan and kala go under a chuppah. When they go under a chuppah, the chuppah represents such a powerful, godly revelation that it makes mashpia, the husband, and the kala stand equal. And it was this that he is so much greater than her is only relative between him and her. But once they're facing true infinity that the that the that the that the, the chuppah represents, then it causes an equal. And this is the concept, and this is just, I know that for this, for this class, a lot of these concepts we've discussed at great length on Thursday nights, I'm just taking little tidbits, and, put, and just that we should be able to finish, complete the structure over here, is that whenever there is going to be a yichud, a pekida that we spoke about earlier, a pekida, a remembrance between chasen and kala, between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael, between God and the Jewish people, whenever that unity is going to take place, there always needs to be a chuppah, and the chuppah is called a crown, just like a crown you wear above your head. And that's the meaning, go see the King Shleimah, that he got a crown, when did he get a crown? On the day of his wedding. In order for him to be able to get married, he needs to receive a crown. Where is the crown coming from? It's called a crown. The crown comes from where? From Keser, from the infinite. But how is it transmitted from Keser down to the six spheroids, primarily to Teferis? Teferis is the center of, the, of, of, the, of all the six spheroids. Who transmits the crown? What does the Pasuk say? It's coming from his mother. That means Bina. 
is the one that channels the crown. I'm not going to explain that now. It's a discussion on its own. Bina is the channel, the one that channels the crown from the Ein Sof and channels it down to Ze'er Anpin, to the six emotions, to the six uh, godly attributes called HaKadosh Baruch And as a result of that, he can pass that on to, to Malchus, to the, to the Shechina, to the Jewish people. So now we'll understand why Shol is, is mentioned over here. Because Shol is Bina. And without Shol enabling this, Yonason and David can't have this spiritual union. This powerful, Yonason again personifies the six emotional attributes, the Yud Kevav of, of God's name, the masculine attributes. That is going to be the Nefkadetah that's going to be remembered and it's going to be given to David. In order for David to receive it, David, see, here's the thing. Everybody needs to go do work in order for be able to, everybody needs bittel. You think about it. They both need bittel. The Malchus, the Shekhinah needs bittel because without bittel, she's too, she's too narrow, she's too small to be able to receive. So as a result of that, she has her bittel and, and her bittel nullifies her and that enables her to go out of her limitations to be able to receive what's compared to her is called infinite light. He, the husband, also needs bittel. Because if he doesn't have bittel, why is he lowering himself down to give life to something that is so much less than him? Why would he even, why, why is he, why would he even consider the yichud? So he needs to get, his, he, literally, he needs to get his, his socks knocked off. He needs to be blown away by something so magnificent that humbles him. And that enables him to be mashpia to her. And that's the secret of a chasen and kala standing under a chuppah. The chuppah comes from the mother. So shola melech, who is Bina, is the one who has to activate the v'nifkadeta, the remembrance. How will that happen? Because David won't be there. This is the story, the inside story, about what's happening over here. And this reoccurs every Erev Rosh I want to add now just two, just one small little piece of the puzzle. And then we're going to take this whole idea and bring it back to the occurrences that have been going on in the world in the last couple of months. And I think it's accurate. I think this is really the inner significance. We are now experiencing some, some events that are, that are so cosmic, that are so unbelievable, including what just happened in the 10 weeks of absence and in uh, the announcement this Friday. So now what happens? Yoinasan says to David, um, okay, your seat is going to be vacant. Okay. What is the content of Yipaket Moshevecha? What is the content of this absence? What does it mean in literal life when we say the Shekhinah is going to be absent and only in her absence is she able to receive later greater light? So, it, it, might, it might not be something that we would have thought of, but just like the seed we said earlier, it has to decompose in the earth, and that's how it becomes a, a vessel for something ho- greater. The idea that when we say that the Shekhinah, the Jewish people, need to disintegrate, need to go down, to in order to achieve this, this to, to become a, to, to trigger the Yichud, to stimulate the Yichud, this is related to the idea that we humbly accept the task 
of lowering ourselves down into the world in order to fix the world. The natural state of the Jewish neshama is to cleave to God. The natural state of a holy soul is to, is to be in a constant state of prayer, of, of, of Torah study, of being in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a trance of attachment to Hashem. That's the, and that's the nature of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is in a state of Tzomalach al-Nafshi. She's thirsting for the Divine. She's thirsting for the Eid Sof. But we know that the Shekhinah has a job. Her job is that she descends, she goes down. The Shekhinah descends down into the lower world. Spiritually, this is what the Arizal talks about. The Shekhinah goes down in order to collect sparks. She descends from the spiritual godly worlds of Atsilos, of the, of, of the, 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 which is a, 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 a world of pure divinity. And it says that she goes down lower, all the way to the point that her ragala, her feet, Yeredes Moves, she comes down to a place of death. And that's the idea of what we call Galus HaShechina. The Shechina departs the lofty spiritual places and goes low into the world. And what's the point of it? She's going in order to extract, to elevate the world. That's really what it is. To extract sparks of holiness. Translate that into all of us. Our neshamas do not remain in Gan Eden. They don't remain in the spiritual world. Our souls are incarnated in bodies. And not only that, but within bodies itself, we don't remain segregated from the world in uh, Jerusalem or somewhere holy. We are scattered all over the world amongst the nations. And what's the point? The point is that we should sublimate the world. We should bring godly consciousness and awareness to the human race, not only to the human race. We even engage and involve ourselves with the actual matter, physical materials of this world, which is very lowly, very obscuring of God. And these things obviously can coarsen us and can literally almost kill the neshama, destroy the neshama in our, like we know, we get involved in trying to make money and so on and so forth, and they make us forget Hashem. This is all compared to this disintegration. And by the neshama doing this, this is an incredible, incredible mesiras nefesh. And that's why when Yonason is talking to David, you know what he says to him? He says, Vishilashta, Tered Ma'oid. You have to go down to a hiding place. Go down. Because when the Nishama comes down, it's like the Shama is hiding. Because in, in our bodies, we don't see the Nishama, we don't feel our soul. Our soul is in, incognito. Our soul is, is blocked. That's what it means to go into hiding. He tells him, go down. Go down very low. This is the idea that in a shama that a person has to be, get involved in the material physical world which is so foreign and so distant from the spirituality and from the holiness of the soul. And he says more than that. He says, goes down until Ad Evena Ozel. You should be a shafta. You should sit. It's Evena Ozel. Evena Ozel means the stone, the traveling stone. That refers to Olama Asiyah Gashmi. Go all the way down into the physical. It's not enough for the Shekhinah to go down into the lower spiritual worlds. Ooh, that's also considered going down. Go down, down, down until you're going to be mamish entrenched or, or, or in, 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 hidden and concealed. Mamish begashmi is in the physicality of this world. And that's all of our neshamas, especially during the exile, in which we are... We are forced to engage in the most far-flung elements, in the most distant, most remote, the most disconnected elements of existence. 
But he says, remember we said, he said, wait three days and do that. The word that he uses is he uses the word vishilashta. Vishilashta means wait three days. But according to the deeper meaning, shilashta means you have to become a triangle. You have to become a segol. We know that one of the nekudas of the olive base is called a segol. A segol is a triangle made up of three dots. This concept of the soul or the shekhinah, the soul is just a, a, a mini, mini shekhinah. The shekhinah is the micro and the nisham is the macro. The opposite. The, the, neshama, the, the shekhinah is the macro and the nisham is the micro. It's the same idea. The journey of the soul is the journey of the shekhinah. And what do we say? Vishilashta. Make yourself into a segoil. The point of a segoil is that there is one, there is a dot, and there is another two dots on top of it. What does it mean? The dot on the bottom and the two tops, dots on the, on the top? The two dots on the top represent the pluralistic world of many. Two, Rosh Hashanah in the public domain. That represents the entire physical world before the tikkun, before the rectification, before Mashiach comes, before God's oneness is revealed in the entire world, when the world is still a world of many, where everybody in the world is still busy doing their own thing. So there, is, there, is a, a, there isn't a, a, a unison in creation. Everything is fragmented. Everything is broken. You will have to go down. And what does the Pasuk say? You have to go hide there. That means it's not just enough. You're not hovering on top. We don't like float on top of the world and influence like a spirit from above that influence. Imagine Hashem could have sent our Nishamas down. We should be spiritual floating entities that should pop ideas into, into people's minds from above, but that we don't become... No, that's not what happens. We go into physical bodies. We become very much part of society. We become very much part of... Everything in this world, all the moving and shaking, Jews are in universities, Jews are in schools, Jews are in the business industries, Jews are entrepreneurs. We are completely within. And when you say, when a Jew goes within, it really means he goes under. Going under means that you become a segel. You're going under the two dots. You're burrowing from beneath. And from beneath, you're going to plant that seed. And in the nations or in the people or in the pluralistic world that's above you, unity, a nation of one singularity, revealing in the two. That's the segoil. And that's why Hashem says to us, today, 3,332 years ago, when Hashem gave us the Torah as part of our job in the Torah, Hashem promised us, because today is when Hashem sent Moshe. Be'ez Sivan is the day when we go back to Har Sinai where God says to Moshe Rabbeinu that he makes the proposal we should accept the Torah. God says, segula You will be to me a segula. Segula means you will be a treasured treasure from all the nations, but the deeper meaning, you will become a segol. You will burrow down beneath all the nations and you will lift them up. What happens? That's called Yipakeid Moshevecha, your seat is vacant. That's the Yipakeid Moshevecha, your seat is vacant. Because we're not in shul, we're not in front of God, we're not pursuing what we really want to, we're not. Sometimes it causes a break and a temporary severance of our devakos to the Abishter. Sometimes it even causes sin and complete breakaway. And then we have to come back through tshuva. 
It's a very, very big sacrifice. It's a very dis- great disconnect. It's literally being buried. What's going to happen to that segoil, the Yisam Segula? So we know there's another form to a segoil. And that's when the segoil is flipped over. The two dots are in the bottom and the one dot is, dot, dot is on the top. That's called a segulta. A segulta is when the two dots are in the bottom and the dot on the top. What happens is, after we're done this rectification, after we're done this elevation, the segoil flips over. The very nations themselves that we've elevated, the very dark elements of the world that we've sublimated, all aspects of this creation, the material world that till now was blocking God, that itself is going to become a source of greater godliness and greater divine manifestation. So much so that's going to enhance the soul's experience even more than when the neshama was in Gan Eden before it came down. Not only that, the souls that are in, in heaven already 3,000 years departed from this world. They're in a, such a high place because we know souls continue to go higher and higher every day. No matter how they're going to come back into bodies because the physical world is going to be holier than heaven. The very secular world, the very mundane world, that very dark world will be brighter and it will increase the light even to the neshama. And that's the idea that from the Yisamli Segula, Mikola Amim, that the nations themselves will continue to elevate you and elevate you and elevate you. It doesn't mean only the nations. It means everything that nations represent. It means the entire material world with all of its of its what seemed to be till now obscuring elements and blocking elements will become powerful infusers of divine consciousness. The Rebbe goes so far in this discourse to reveal something awesome. I mean, it's a very deep discourse and there's a lot there that I'm leaving out. But he reveals an amazing thing. He says one of the things that are going to happen after Mashiach comes is that the Jewish people are going to have Rishchush Gadol. Because one of the things that we... It says, Just like when you went out of Egypt, I will show you wonders. When we went out of Egypt, what was the wonder? So, when we went out of Egypt, one of the great things, one of the, the main thing that the Torah says that happened good for the Jewish people as a result of the Egyptian exile was that we went out with great wealth. Took the wealth of Egypt. So, when, when it comes to Mashiach, it's going to be even a greater wealth that's going to be revealed. We're going to be very wealthy. But the question is, when Rambam describes the days of Mashiach, Rambam describes all delights are going to be available like dust. And people are not going to be interested in all the pleasures and delights because God is going to be finally exposed and we're going to be able to experience Him. And we're all going to drop all of our obsessions and we're going to pursue God with all of our might, with all of our love. Only to know Hashem. So who can, who's going to, why do we need that? So the Rebbe says an amazing thing. Since after we're done with the body, after we're done with the purification of the body, the body is going to elevate the neshama because there's something about the body that the soul doesn't have. Something about the lower element of the world that 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 the higher parts don't have. The neshama is lacking. The body is going to inform the soul. So too, the Rebbe says, all the stuff that the body naturally gravitates to, which is all the material delights, which these are natural, instinctively connected to the body. The Rebbe says we shouldn't see them just as distractions. These are things that the body doesn't crave only because the body is so corrupted and so, and so coarse. Nice things, beautiful things, 
tasty things. It's because the neshama has a deep, the body has a deep connection to these things. Since once we're going to turn over the segoil, and the, and the body is going to serve, the, the, the two dots on the bottom are going to push the neshama upward higher, that's the dot on the top, so too all the physical delights that we're going to know God in a deeper way every time after a person is going to enjoy something of the material world, something that his body wants because of its body's intrinsic connection to it. A piece of chocolate is going to make you know God in a much deeper way than ever. That's the concept of the Yisraelim. And the nations are going to enhance the Jewish people. In, in our connection to Hashem. And obviously we will share that with the nations as well. And that's all part of Vinifkadata. You're going to be remembered the ultimate revelations of Mashiach. The ultimate intimacy will be because you'll be vacant. What's the vacancy? The vacancy is our occupation for thousands of years. When Jews, instead of being like monks in a in a in a in, a, in an ashram in a in, in a closed off you know in a state of dveikos Hashem. instead of that we were entrepreneurs we're investors we're we're we're, 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 we're 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 businessmen we're involved in all aspects of life it's 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 not something that we really truly want it, it's a sacrifice and that sacrifice to sublimate the world will be big payoff and that's going to be when Mashiach comes. So now, watch this idea. Obviously, this, this concept translates every month, Rosh Chodesh, and, but there is, again, as I said earlier, there is the micro and the macro. When are we going to experience, the Jewish people, the final v'nifkadetah, the ultimate intimacy with God? By the way, the coming of Mashiach is called a pekida. It's called a, uni, a union, like we know, pakait pakadati. When we went out of Egypt, that was the sign of the redemption. When are we going to have the ultimate vinifkadata, the ultimate pakit pakadati, the ultimate yichud and unity? When Mashiach comes, Chazal say that everything we had in Torah and mitzvahs until now, all the miracles and all the beautiful moments that we've had with God until now, was only considered the betrothal. It wasn't the marriage. The completion of the marriage. The completion of the marriage is going to be when Mashiach comes and that's when the true intimacy is going to happen. The yichot between the Knesset Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch. But in order for a yichot to happen, for the unity to happen, we said before, we need to do our preparation. Our preparation was thousands of years of sacrificing ourselves to sublimate Hashem's world. We did this all for God. We spread around the entire world. There wasn't a corner, a nook and a cranny in the entire world that we didn't get to. We, we haven't sublimated and elevated. We reached everywhere, purified everything. That was our absence. But it has to, But even though we were absent, we didn't show that absence in not coming to shul. Because on Shabbos, on Yantiv, we would come to shul. Or even three times a day, a Jew comes to shul. But right as it's going to be the, the grand finale, the ultimate unity, as Shavuos is coming, as we're coming to the ultimate vinifkadato, the ultimate intimacy, the ultimate bond between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael, what happens right before that? A great big vacancy. An absence, an absence like there's never been before. David HaMelech, the Jewish people, did not show up to God's party. Hashem came to Shul, no one was there. 
That's why in my shul over here, I used to put the, and I still do it, every Shabbos, put the tablecloth, set the room up. This time I didn't take it off yet. Um, so that because if I'm not coming to shul, Hashem might still be coming. Actually, he comes, there's no 10 Jews, he leaves. But the idea that, that, that no one is there, that made God think about it. That made Vinifkalata. And where did we say the unity comes from? What did we say? The unity comes from, just like we needed to do our job, God has the, 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 the flow from the mashpiat to the makabal can only come if there is hamshachas hakeser. There is a, a flow from the crown. What's the crown? The crown is corona, is the crown, which is the general idea that is causing all of this. This whole shutdown of the world, including that Jews are absent. It's all related to this. Something is, there is this invisible power in the world from the crown that's coming. Within the crown, the name they call the corona is novel corona. What is the idea of novel corona? Because in Hasidus we learn that there's many levels of crown. And there were different revelations of crown in the past. By Matan Torah, there was, uh, uh, was the revelation of the crown. The 50th day, Shavuos, is the revelation of Keser. Also through Bina. Remember we said crown reveals itself through Bina. So the 50th, Shavuos is the 50th day. 50 is 50 gates of Bina. That's where the crown is revealed. But in crown, there is, Darizal says, the inner, deepest point of the crown was never revealed yet. It's only going to be revealed when Mashiach comes. That's called the Oyer Chodosh, a new light. In Nusach Chabad, we don't say this, but it's a beautiful part of the prayer, which I miss still from when I said it as a kid. Oyer Chodosh, a new light, Altsiyah in Torah, you'll shine on Zion. What's the new light? The new light is from Pinimius Akazar. Novel Corona, new crown, Pinimius, the innermost of Attic, the inner deepest point of Ein Sof, that's going to be revealed. When? Any moment. The absence we've done already. So when it comes Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos, after we've completed the work, and it's already the end, we've already been absent. And the absence represents the idea that we fixed, fixed the nations. And let me tell you, what does it mean to fix the nations? Fixing the nations means to reveal in them their connection to God. That's, the fix, that's fixing the nations. That the nations themselves feel their connection to God. Like this, the world was able to deny God. What, what, what's the klipa of the world? The klipa of the world is the world claims I exist and I don't need God. I exist on my own. So on Erev Shabbos, when, if the, when we're ready to say the Haftorah, of Machar Chodesh Tamarach, we're explaining the absence. And we're getting ready for the unity, which is happening this week on Shavuos. And what was our absence? Our absence was fixing the world. So the leader of the free world stands up on Friday on Erev Shabbos. On Erev Mochel Chodesh. The leader. And he announces to the Jewish people, go back in. You don't have to be absent anymore. You know why? Because you finished the work with us already. We're purified. We're elevated. You can go back to shul. Go back to synagogue. It's interesting when he said, she said churches, synagogues, and mosques. Mosques. But if you listen to his speech twice, 
Every time he mentioned synagogue, he said one synagogue. He said synagogue. Mosques, he says mosques, churches, churches. Because really it's going, we're not going just to shul. We're going to the third base on English. All shuls will be attached to it. We're going to the ultimate synagogue. Who is the one telling it to us? from all the nations. So the leader of the nations is telling it to us. And what does he say? What's the proof that we don't have to be absent anymore? Maybe we still have to be absent. Maybe we still have to be busy rectifying, fixing the world. You know what he says? He says, churches, synagogues, mosques, meaning all these houses of worship, all these places of worship are essential places. Do you realize that? They're not just nice things that people do that you want, you know, you want to enhance your life. They are essential. Essential means that God is essential to our life. He was saying, I think, there that beauty parlors are this or that. I don't know he mentioned a few different things. That the casinos, <laughs> they're essential. And God is not essential. So here is an admittance. Again, I'm not even going, you know, why he said that doesn't make a difference. It's the concept behind it. He is saying and announcing that we now recognize that these places are essential. If they're not essential, they can wait another month or two till we'll we'll be allowed to go go there. Because, you know, there's a danger still in meeting. But if it's essential, you have to have it. Just like the grocery stores are essential. Certain things are essential. This is essential. Your connection to God is essential. That means the work is done. Yipakeit is over. Now you can go have the Torah. And if Kadata, you can go have your ultimate union. And we can merit already to receive Torah Chadasha. The new Torah, which is going to be the Torah of Mashiach, which is going to come as a result of a whole new light that we haven't had before. May God help us all. Then we will come back to shuls and we would immediately find our shuls floating in the air attached to the third base amigdash. And we will have, yes, this shvuas already, the full manifestation, the full revelation, the full vinifkadato will completely manifest in a way that we just can't even imagine. May Hashem help. The Zohar does say that Mashiach comes on Shavuos. Maybe we merit that we don't have to wait till Shavuos even before Shavuos. I know there's the Gemara says an argument Nisan and Tishrei, but the Gemara says Shavuos, the Zohar says Shavuos. The Holy Rujana says, said, Rujana said like this, there's an argument in the sages if it's going to happen in Tishrei or in, or in uh, Nisan. And I say it's going to happen in Sivan. May we merit that so shall be and we should be all reunited with each other, with Hashem, with Mashiach Tzedkenu, with the, and in the Holy Temple, may it be now. Chaim. The
بشو بونیم بشو بونیم لگولام بشو بونیم بشو بونیم بشو بونیم بشو بونیم بشو Shovel Bonnie, the Shovel Bonnie, the Shovel Bonnie.